Sometimes we get stuck and we think about what we stand to lose. And today I'm talking with Ziggy Alberts and we talk about standing to lose your passion if you don't move forward. Now Ziggy Alberts is one of my favorite musicians. I often, you'll often find me listening to him when I'm doing some photo editing or going for a road trip or going out for a surf or something like that. He is an amazing musician. He's been hustling for the last 10 years and I just crossed paths with him once again. I had this interesting conversation with him where I know he's been homeschooled and I know he started his own record label and he's made his own break and he thinks very different to everybody else. And I would say his mindset is very similar to my mindset. So I wanted to jump on and have a really a bit more of a deeper conversation with him and bring that insight into you and your career and where you're at. And I think you're going to find some, some really interesting little nuggets in this conversation that you'll be able to apply to your craft and to your business as well. So one thing that I really love about Ziggy is a lot of people are always waiting for like the big break. You know, they're always waiting for the record deal or um, they're waiting for the person to pick them up that sees them or whatever it is. But Ziggy created his own record label and then signed himself on the record label and he has been bootstrapping his career from the very beginning and it's been amazing to watch from the outside and it's even more amazing right now that he's jumping on here to speak with me to bring you some big value. So again, guys, thank you for listening to Make Your Break. Let's get into today's episode. here with Ziggy. We're going to have a big conversation today about music, his career, all the things he's been up to. Welcome. How are you? I thought I'd hit all the cliches and I would turn up in boardies with sandy feet. And zinc. Yeah, and zinc. I think I got some of it off. (laughs) Yeah, I've spent all of too much time in the sun the last couple of days. That's awesome. uh, You know, it's good to do these things before you do a podcast just to make sure you know staying true to roots. Yeah. When you listen to your music and everything, I think a lot of people imagine you just surfing all the time. Is that true? Is that all that happens? No. <laughs> it's a conversation I was having with a friend yesterday. I've had this conversation the last couple of days with different musos and different people in town. It's definitely, yeah, I'd say very blue collar. And so I'm lucky to have a lot of um, more free time these days, I guess. Mm. But I still tend to feel it because I just love... I do love getting after it and there can be a bit of a perception with uh, music or arts that being excited about business and trying to do well and I guess really hustle, which is I guess maybe something that's quite common in maybe um, more of the American music scene, so to speak. But for me, it's like I always, you know, that 10,000 hours kind of rule was something that always was on my mind and still applies today. Yeah. What I want to ask you and what I sort of want to dive down, like I actually did homeschooling as well for a long time. and I know you did homeschooling and I actually want to dive into like when you first started your career as a musician, what business knowledge did you actually have or did you have some sort of naivety that kind of helped you believe that there was no rules and you could go in and essentially create your own label and build your own career. So just homeschool, what do you think that's, how do you think that's affected your whole career? So I think homeschooling, so I was homeschooled till I was 13. Didn't sit inside a classroom. Yeah, I do remember one of the first classes I turned up at and I had long blonde surfy hair at this time. So people didn't know that I was like the nerd that I was. <laughs> yeah. And so I was, yeah. So, you know, I slipped into the, the system pretty fine. I feel really immensely grateful to have had that, those formative years, particularly as like 
you know, in some ways, like in some ways, girls at that age are also a lot tougher and grow up more quickly. Truly, I think that's the case. And so I think if you're a creative guy, I think it can be um, something that you could get squashed, you know, because you're trying to fit in and you're trying to amongst your peers, but I didn't have to do that as much. I was lucky to have a big family, very supportive kind of, of us being unique individuals. And that was a beautiful thing. Homeschooling gave us this outside kind of perspective where I guess we you didn't know the rules. I've talked about this as a bit of a theme the last couple of days. When you don't know the rules, you don't have to learn how to break them. Totally. And that's so like, and that's freedom. an immense gift, you know, because instead of this is the way it's done, this is how you start your career, this is how things have to be, when you approach it with that naivety or the, the freedom, the innocence play. and the lack of knowledge, it's something that it, you don't have to then say, okay, well, that chord can't come after this chord. I didn't know. I still don't know. I still don't know technical. I still only play by ear, still only... Um, largely like I don't know the keys that a lot of my songs are unless someone tells me um, I still don't know the rules and that to me is really important when it comes to trying to innovate because that mental barrier of this is how things are and how they have always been and how they always will be is something that's an immense thing in in I think an immense thing in all industry but creative what I have knowledge of in a creative industry has been hugely powerful to not know the rules and therefore I did not have to learn how to break them. Yeah, there's so much unlearning to do for people, you know, because like a lot of people don't realise like when you go to school, you are taught to stand in line, put up your hands, wear the same thing as everybody else. You get in trouble if you do wrong or if you don't do any good in your grades, things like that. And I know for myself, I was never told no or I can't do or I'm doing it wrong or I never failed a test because I didn't really do tests and things like that. And so, you know, for myself, Going into being a creative business owner, I find it so easy because I think so different. I don't have to unlearn a lot of things that a lot of us are kind of constrained to. Absolutely. And just to think like for the three years I went to school and even noticing your kind of subconscious shift on how things are, that's tw- imagine 12 years of that. 12 years of this is how things are and this is how it's going to be and you're going to have to go to uni to have to do this. you know. And also people investing 12 years of their young lives and families investing those 12 years of their children's lives and family lives to then have to, to inverted commas, go to university to then get a job. Like if you think about this expanse of that and as far as I'm only – it's 10 years this summer that I quit my last job to do music explicitly and only, you know, like that was the last time, 2011, 2012, when I just picked up the guitar and just started playing. I um, was working cafe jobs and picked up gigs pretty quickly, just doing little uh, little cafe shows and little restaurant shows. And, you know, for 10 years, you know, like if I had taken the uni route, so to speak, which isn't the wrong way, it's just to say that it's, it's a very different way. But like let's say I did that for the first four years or five years. Like, man, the first four or five years so were so important. You know, some of the most important years of my career thus far has been those first five years, you know, thinking from 2000 and let's say from 2013 when I quit my last job and just was going to do music somehow, some way. And um, to think about that to 2018, I mean. They're also the years that you had the most hustle in you, huh? Like you finished school and literally nothing, there's no fear you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. And if you're sitting in a classroom with all that energy built up, like it would be pretty hard for you to come out and have that same hustle and the same drive. 
that blue collar mentality, like this is something like, and th- this is just for, for me personally, but you know, people still now, still now people are partying and I will be there writing songs, you know, like I'd finish the show and write songs and I would do, I would drive, I was telling one of the guys in town last night, I was like, I would play a show in Byron at night, busk on a Friday night at, at Mocker on Lawson Street. And then I would drive to Sunshine Coast or, you know, sometimes I'd drive to Sunshine Coast, play a morning market and I'd drive back and play another gig in Byron on Sunday, you know, like, you know, like I was just- you're hungry for it. Hell for leather, going for it and put myself, you know, there's something about swinging the bat, you know, and you just get better. You, you through that repetition, give yourself the best shot, you know, and I was an on the go learner, you know, different people learn differently. You have to see what- works for you and for me sometimes it is best that I don't know because then I have less fear and more perhaps creativity to a situation and that really helped me when I um it that was just the way that I naturally learned and for sure it's no there's very few accidents man when it comes to music like you do watch you put your best foot forward and you are and I have been immensely lucky that's there's no question about it but when you add in hard work and you see like, you know, Dermot Kendi comes to mind, for example, who I don't know um, that well, but know his drummer pretty well, Mihal Quinn. And basically, you know, I watched them play to a hundred people in Oslo in 2018, maybe January, 2018 in the snow. I watched them play to a hundred people and they now are the biggest you know, wow. Irish act ever, yeah. you know, and like these guys just hustled. And so there's definitely sometimes, I just don't think there's anything that's had that through this the one thing that maybe has stayed the same through our multiple generations and things that have changed is that there is very for, for responsible and ongoing, you know, sustainable business kind of practice where you have a good footing in your chosen career. That kind of doesn't, that kind of putting in the work and it being 10, like 10 years, I've been working pretty hard at this, like really hard. And that's why I have what I have and that kind of, to some people, it looks like it was an overnight thing, but it's, you know, it just was <laughs> yeah. not at all. As I'm sure you can relate. Oh, yeah, man. It's the overnight success. I took my whole life to get that overnight success. <laughs> like, it's so funny. When you first started and you're sort of going into all this and we're sort of established like your actual background in education and things like that, just learning on the go. Did you have any business knowledge whatsoever? And what did that look to you? And it did it even look like a business or were you just like, I need to make a thing happen. And that was basically the thought process you had. At first, it was like, uh, at first, my logic was really sound. It was that I was going to be just as broke, but have more time to surf. So that was my first solid see, career choice. See, that's what I love to hear though, because like, I think so many people overcomplicate everything. But like my first business was the same thing. I was like selling, I had a cafe, so I was selling coffee. So I was like, if I sell it for more than it cost me to make, then I've got a business. And that's all it was. Exactly. And I think that's <laughs> something that can be lost in particularly in music, for example, is that that kind of really okay? If I can buy this many CDs, and I can if I got to sell a hundred of them to break even, okay, then I've got a business. Like I will be able to put because I I had to put fuel in my car. You know, I lived in my lived in my van at that time. You know, well when I once I bought a van, I lived in my van, and so like it was very there was no backstop in that sense. And so I was super pragmatic, and that's what led me to do house shows and backyard shows because. I could try and get paid 200 bucks, maybe, maybe from the pub who didn't necessarily want to book me because I didn't do covers. Or if I could play to 10 people 
if I played to t- if I played to twenty people at ten bucks, which is what I would do at the start, that was the same. But the environment was better, more intimate. Actually, made lasting connections with these people. It allowed you to be creative as well with your it own was, music. How am I going to you know? How am I going to? How is this going to be? Some I really did take a pretty quality um, a quality approach when it came to the settings that I wanted people to be in with me. And, but my version of quality was something that was intimate. You know, it wasn't the place that was fancy. It was like backyards and houses, but it was stuff that was very make-believe and not normal against the rules. You know, stuff that people just weren't doing. At least, you know, we had Matt Corby and Nick Saxon took me on the first house show, you know, something that's very popular now, but at that time it was still, no one was doing it probably consistently. And that's where I was like, okay, well, okay, so then I don't have to ask the pub for money. There's no rules, you know, and, and we were creating these really beautiful memories where, you know, there was a lot of trust involved. There was strangers. I was turning up to strangers' houses who would host other strangers in their freaking house. You know, and that's incredible. But we all took that leap of trust together and then, like, and then you're all rewarded. And so it was just like, a, yeah, it was a really um, beautiful thing and it was something that was just a really exciting unfolding journey. I didn't have a big... Plan. But a lot of those, like you just kind of touched on those very simple, pragmatic, like, because again, like I, I, it was, I committed at 18, which is crazy thing at 18. I was like, this is going to be my, like, I'm going to do it. You know? And I had a Corolla, a guitar and like, like a busking PA, you know, I didn't even have it that, like I hadn't, I had nothing. I had no grounds to stand on that. I was going to pull it off. Um, but to me, it was some of the most joyous moments, you know, when you take those risks and you free fall and, um, you know, I had nothing to lose and everything to gain. And I was lucky to have my folks who backed me up on that. And as the business grew, I just dragged people into it as far as, so once I created um, a big enough problem, I had twice, cause at first I was self-managed, self-booked, produced the CDs, organized the invoices, set up the events online. I, at one point, you know, I did it all, which was unsustainable yeah, in every sense of the word, but I created a big enough Ecosystem. An ecosystem. Yeah, that's a better word. So saying problem. Like I created an ecosystem that required two people. And then I could afford my sister who's still my, um, you know, who I co-founded the label with. It's amazing. Um, you know, she in 2015 started managing me and still my manager today. And that's, I created this kind of ecosystem or microsystem enough to have that. And then once we grew that out, got my dad involved, who's had you know, decades of experience in being an entrepreneur and a business owner himself um, in IT in particular, which is hilarious. You know, so he, we dragged him in at first on a bit of accounting and then we dragged him in as a CFO and then got the auntie to come in when we started the label. It's just been this kind of, you know. Just bringing everyone along the ride with you. Yeah. 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 So I, I, I like my job now is to like, provide some ideas, make the mess, go tour and then, you know, <laughs> stay healthy and happy for the people. Yeah. I love that. You know, when um, most people sort of start out when they're doing anything. So I know a lot of people will go like, I'm going to go and play at the pub and then hopefully someone's going to see me play from a record label and then they're going to give me a deal or hopefully someone's going to tell their friend that they've seen someone and there's a lot of hope and chance and stuff like that. And I feel like with your approach of just going like, well, if I am the record label, then I can give myself a chance and make my own break. And then from there, I'm going to obviously get bigger problems and with bigger problems, I'm going to have bigger solutions and with bigger solutions, you know, everything sort of grows. So for you, instead of being fixated on looking for a record deal, did you ever think of like, well, nothing's ever going to stop me. I'm just going to do it myself. 
I look at so many moments and I'm so glad that I hadn't thought through all of what was sensible and reasonable and let things unfold. You know, that was important. It's important to think through a lot of things and it was important to seek guidance and stuff where it's pretty black and white, i.e. legal stuff. But I had this really ironically punk mentality where I was like doing all ages shows like I was big on all ages gigs and um, because I was 16 graduated because I got to finish school a year early from being homeschooled. So I was 16 um, getting paid cash glassing at a, you know, collecting glasses at a music bar, you know, and I felt that I couldn't see music for like a year and a half with all the people that I went to school. I couldn't even go see music. And I worked in a music venue at that time, you know, and long story short is like, so that was a passionate thing for me. And then I just was really, um, I actually was like real, I, like, I, like I say, ironically and not to the, you know, always had the, the blonde surf, you know, sing a song out of thing, but I was really punk in my approach. Like I was really protective of, I just want to play music to people direct. I want to cut out all the noise, the middleman. I didn't want the articles. I didn't want the label. I actually, kind of despised that and I was like I'm playing music with my people and I do not care to have any of you and the toxic industry involved and thank goodness I've been by necessity also matured a little bit enough to see it's not all toxic because now we are a part of the industry we are a fully fledged independent label and publishing house so now we are and, and, and working with other independents and, you know, so it's not all that. But at that time I was just really protective and really um, that was my goal was like to play direct to people, you know, and we were, I remember doing, um, you know, the Palais in Melbourne, you know, and sold out the Palais in like 2017 without radio, without any marketing budget, without anything, you know, we're still with like, with like, I don't know how big our team, I we hadn't formed the label. So like maybe two, like, uh, two or three people in total, like crazy stuff, but it was just direct to people and it was really underground and like immensely grassroots. And it was just this super quality group of people that really championed my music that I owe, um, you know, that we did it. It was our, it was our thing that we grew together as I just lapped the country. We just kept growing into bigger venues and it was just this kind of, um, and so it just wasn't in my interest to pander um, to that. I was just like, because also this is the other thing in a really pragmatic sense, what more could I have wanted? As in, so like I, I bought, I got to buy the bigger van, you know, and I was committed to touring. So I got to buy a bigger van that was safer to drive, like better to sleep and all those things. I still, you know, it's parked out the front now. I still got it. And like I had that, I was doing something I loved. I was surrounded by, people I really cared about that I was touring with, you know, once, you know, a couple of years in, I could afford to have those people on the road. So like, what more did I want kind of thing? Like I wasn't, that wasn't a stepping stone. That was like everything I wanted. I was achieving by playing to 50 people in a backyard and I'm lucky because maybe 10 years on that would get old, but each step of the way I haven't been like, Oh, this is the one. One thing in music, I've had a certain amount of grace that in other areas of my life, for sure, sometimes you like look and you want to do better in this area and you want to do better there and you want to iron out your creases. But when it's come to music, I've largely just felt, um, I've largely felt immensely just blessed and none of those, none of those steps were things that were just to get somewhere. They were the thing. They were what I was going for. 
And as a result, people felt that. And, you know, so my, I've been saying this a little bit of late, but I was doing A for A. It wasn't A for B. It wasn't I'm doing this to get the big record label deal. It's like I'm doing this for doing this. This is the point. And that's something that was just natural to me. And in music, not in all areas of my life, but in music was natural to me. And I feel grateful to have stumbled upon that because I think I owe even now what I enjoy so much about my career. I, I owe to that mindset. It's like I'm not – like right now I'm not looking to – because we don't know what we're asking for. So I could be bigger. What does that mean? Can I still sleep in my van at the caravan park? Like what more can I ask for? I played with Jack Johnson around Australia and I'm still sleeping in my van. Like I have immense freedom, good people around me, get to go surfing, I'm healthy. You know, so we, we must be careful what we ask for because I've also been in positions and you've been in positions where you've got on paper what everyone wants and everyone around you would perceive as the thing to have and that's, that only means so much you sleep in the same bed at night, you know. So it's, I've been happy to see that early on and been given insight to just how much that is true and how you sleep in the same bed, whether you play to hundred people or 2000 people, you know? And, um, so you've got to do your, your work and your time and your relationships and your balance outside of your career. You have to have those things. Otherwise it's just, those things are nice, but they're not everything. It's real interesting. I've got this, um, I've like shared this concept before a few places where I've talked about even though I grew up in like government housing and, you know, we, we just had no money and everything, I've always perceived myself as rich. And so people never really understand this concept, but I've, I've always said like, man, like I, I was rich when I was young. We had so much love. Like I was rich when I got my first job and I was getting paid $3 an hour. Like I was rich the first time I did my apprenticeship and I was getting $5 an hour. I was rich, you know, when I bought my first car that was seven shades of yellow and everyone's always seen me lucky and being rich. But what people don't realize is, I was the one that decided I was rich. It wasn't anyone else deciding. And so because I decided it, people believed it as well because what else can you be, right? And so it sounds like it's sort of the same for you. It's like, well, I've decided I'm successful when I play to 20 people in the backyard. I decided that, so I am successful. And then from there, the next thing is like, I sold out the Palais Theatre. I am successful. Like, you know, and so as the bar rises, it doesn't really sound like you're trying to chase a bigger thing but you have been successful from when no one was listening all the way through your whole career and it's still continuing to go that way. Would you agree on that? I think, yeah, like you, yeah, you said it really eloquently. It's, and I don't know, you know, I've I've thought about how to, you know, I've thought about how do you, how do you instill that now? There's like, you know, I've tried, because I've tried to communicate this concept of like, because I did, I just felt that way. I can't say why. I think because, if you're particularly in music, if your experience with shows, if it's based on a numbers game, let's say with people, then the more people, the better, the more successful. But if it's based on something more personal and something that involves a quality of connection or perhaps it's how you've managed to unveil more of yourself in songwriting, I wasn't in Germany playing to you know, 20, 30 people in this DJ lawyer's house in Hamburg. Chris was his name, who's a legend. Yeah, Chris, super dunker. I wasn't there on my first show in Hamburg going, man, I can't believe this. I was there going, there's 30 people 
in someone's house on the other side of the world, you know, and like, so that's a, that's man, that's, it's so powerful when that's the case. And like I said, I feel so, and I don't know, I think, you know, upbringing certainly helps and it just, I think for a long time, I've just known that you can play and maybe those that run in 2017 where I was just really burnt out, like immensely burnt out to been going too hard too long. And it didn't matter. That was such a blessing in hindsight because I was playing to thousands of people, sold out the best venues I've ever played. And I was like, couldn't have been more unhappy. It was the biggest cliche in the world. I was just so broken. I wasn't even unhappy. I was just void of life force, you know? And so it didn't matter. It made it worse. It was like, here is these people. And I don't even feel like I can give as much as I want to give to them right now. And so then, then what does it matter when you've got 3000 people there? And so I guess that's where, as soon as it becomes about numbers, you know, as soon as it becomes about the amount of people and I mean, there's people who do, there's people doing better than me all the time. There's people like, you know, like there's, there's people I know who are doing, who are doing better than me on all sorts of, on all sorts of levels. But like, again, I, we, we ask for one thing. And we don't see the world that we're asking for. You know, we ask, we can ask for so many things and we ask for an aspect. We don't ask for the whole picture. And so like, I still have my freedom right now to like be here on the North coast, just cruising, literally cruising in my van, which is still something that is immensely, that is my freedom. That is a part of my freedom. And if that was taken away, I would have to learn to adapt, but I'm so happy that I can do that, you know? And so to ask, to ask to be, let's say, that even more people in Australia knew, let's say, let, let's say I was like, oh, right, three or four times the amount of people need to know in Australia. Like, would I be able to do that? Or would I have to live somewhere more private? Would I have to be a more private person? And so, yeah, I think maybe I'm just going through a phase at the moment where I'm like, be careful what you ask for because you might uh, – I think you are – you think you know what you're asking for, but you might you might not. And well, you know what's interesting – it's funny, like, I think, I feel like we'd both share this, but um, people like yourself, I've met quite others with the same kind of mindset, but we're always more scared of success than we are of failure. And so it's so interesting and not many people understand this, but failure, there is, you're not scared of failure because, I mean, you, how can you even fail unless you give up? Like there is no such thing as failure, right? Like you, you're going to keep going up and you're going to do the show and you do the things, but then success like we think about that more so because it's like, oh man, that's going to change my life. Or I don't know how to deal with it because I've never seen it in my life. I've never seen anyone that I know being that successful or like whatever it is, right? So then it's a whole new path that you have to forge yourself and it's so scary. And I actually see a lot of people, and this is including myself, I hold myself back a lot just because of that fear. And I, and I recognize that in myself and I'm always continually thinking like, how can I get past this? And I know it's simply the fact that I just haven't seen anyone do it before and I'm finding that hard. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, it's so, it's so funny and you do see that in people who often maybe have achieved, achieved something, you know, like to see, but like you said, scared of that success and what does that mean and how do things change? And it is a new path and, it is crazy, you know, like there is, you know, because when you look to it, there are few, fewer examples of the Jack Johnsons, for example. There's fewer examples of that sort of person. There really is who is that immensely successful in music and there's many examples of people who, 
you know, um, really successful in their career, but their home life is trashed or they're like, their well-being is not like is is completely out of whack and and it is easy and i've also find it hard to not be like can you have it all you know and that's a big ch- like i've had to check in on myself a couple times to be like hey like you could it doesn't just i think when you're like i think also when you're used to grinding and you're used to just being like hustling it's also sometimes like let's let certain things be easy, you know. Yeah. And luckily with music, again with music, I've not, I've let songs, songs coming to me or songs, um, I've not been too scared of them being something people might like. Whereas it's easy in easy in music to be like, well, I need other musicians to like, it. and that doesn't mean other people like it. it doesn't even mm. mean you like it. And so it is. It is. Uh, you know, I wonder how many things are forged by. Like, can I have it all? Because I feel like, because I feel like I have so much. Like, can I also have all those things that I dream of? Those private dreams. Can I have that as well? You know, and you know, the answer for the answer for all of us is probably yes. But for sure, getting over that hurdle of being like, well, I have all these things. Can I? It's the mindset that you're going to get through. Yeah, more than I've even got now. You know, and for me, when that comes to mind, it's like things that represent more that come to mind are so like so personal and just how you feel and it's lucky. I mean, again, it's lucky to maybe I can afford that existential, you know, existential crisis kind of thing. Perhaps I can afford it because I'm lucky that I'm not, I don't put a lot of stress around how my music needs to do. I've noticed that I kind of don't let there be a lot of like expectations caught myself. Like it's funny. I'll find myself really caught up on something. Like let's say just before a tour, I'll be really caught up on some other business like challenge really, really caught up on it, really upset about it. And I've come to realize I'm like, okay, I'm just deflecting. Like I'm just a bit nervous about this whole tour. I just need to like sit down, ask for a pat on the back, have a little cry. And like, it's just funny like seeing that, but like it's a really precious place where I'm like, don't like to be stressing out about how it needs to be, you know? Um, And I'm glad for that because there's just, I mean, even this last 18 months, the amount of, you know, well, the last three or four years, but the last 18 months, the twists and turns of my music and things have happened. I wouldn't have expected, including touring with Jack around Australia, like that stuff that like wasn't on my radar recorded at Abbey road late last year and maybe like September, never on my radar. I never even had it on my bucket list, you know? Um, and the opportunity came up and I was like, Oh yeah, I'll do that. You know, tour South Africa was just stuff that, and so being open to, the way things might go is like so important, so, so important. And um, I'm happy and I wonder, I'd like to know if it's the case for you, like do you feel like there's any avenue, music's been the avenue for me that's like taught me a lot about, I guess, letting things happen, not holding, I've not stood in my own way a lot with music. Largely I've stood, I've let things actually be as good as they can possibly be. Is there something in your life that's been like that? that you've leaned on as an example? Yeah, for sure. I think um, I've got this thing that I like to say because a lot of people when I was growing up throughout my whole life always says, Jai, you're so lucky. I said, I know I'm always in the right place at the right time all the time because for myself, like I make sure that I am in the right place 
at the right time all the time. So I'm very much like I go with the flow of everything, but I, I know the fact that um, if I'm not even in the room, nothing's going to happen for me. And so, of course, I was in the right place. I didn't know what was going to happen in that room. But the fact that I, uh, what, what my effort was, was like getting over my insecurities, my self-doubts, extroverting myself into a space, meeting people, talking to people, or just being there or whatever it is, and then hearing what the opportunities are and then having the courage to say yes to things. And I think that in myself is probably one of the qualities that I love about myself because it gets myself so far forward. But um, I do feel like in your situation, it's the same thing. Like you're in the right place at the right time all the time. And people don't realize that you're living in your van, driving around Australia, like for 10 years to be in that position, to be in the right place at the right time all the time. And so for myself, like um, I'll have an, an example would be like, I remember there was a wedding, it was in Chicago and they're like, can you come and fly to my wedding? Like it's in Chicago, blah, blah, blah. And I said, I'm, I'm actually there in Chicago on that day, just worked out. And of course I lied. I quickly jumped to my computer and I booked a flight and I got myself to Chicago for that date. So I happened to be at the right place at the right time for that thing. And so, yeah, I think it's like having the willingness to, like, even if it didn't work out, it doesn't matter. I've always backed myself and I'm, and I'm willing to put myself into those places. Which I find is really interesting, even with your career and like the mindset that you have of like where you are now and pushing forward and finding opportunities all the time or allowing opportunities to come to you. Like you didn't even see that Jack Johnson was on the horizon for you, you know, for this last tour in this last year. But you did put yourself in the position to allow that to happen. And it took 10 years worth of work plus to be conditioned to say, even to say yes to something like that, because too many people would fall back on the insecurities. Maybe there's too many rules. There's things in a way. There's so many other implications. Maybe they're already busy with something else and had other commitments. They couldn't move things around where I feel like when someone like yourself is like, well, I do, but I'm moving things. I'll move heaven and earth and we're making this happen. That luckiness, I think, would be a common tying thread. You know, my one of my favorite quotes, my sister has a, as a sign-off. It's probably my, yes, if not one, of, it's, it's, in, it's one of my favorite quotes of all time. It's by Seneca. Um, this stoic um, writer from from eons ago, and it's a uh, luck is where opportunity meets preparation, and that for me just says it all. And when I say I'm lucky, I mean it in both. I feel I have been like you know blessed, and I equally feel like I had prepared and opportunity presented itself. You know, and I think like a fun story that's very vivid for me was in two thousand and. 15, the first time I went to Europe and went on a, on a backpacking trip with my family. Something really specific. Maybe we went on a backpacking trip to Europe. Mum was coming, mum went back to Hungary for the first time. We all went and basically took my guitar, box of CDs, my backpack, said, Hey, I've got a free weekend. Would anyone host me in Norway? Um, just do a little backyard show. And basically, you know, the years prior, the two years prior, 2013, 14, 15, I'd been primarily busking in Byron and playing these little cafe shows every night and playing the Northern front room, you know, nine to 12 on a Monday or a Tuesday. And, you know, these, these sisters would come along and one of them was Amelia, who's now, you know, now a good friend. And they would come along. She worked at, she worked at one of the other stores and that was like the locals would come down on like a Monday or a Tuesday because everyone's working hospital over the weekend. They'd come see these shows and she reached out when I put this post up, Hey, like I can come to Norway this weekend. Would anyone host a show? And she said, yeah, I can. I would love to, you know, and 
when I realized who it was, like, this is a familiar face, fantastic. Halfway across the world. So I fly there and we're on the train to Larvik, which is about three hours south of Oslo, to do this house show, which to our knowledge was the first house concert in the like town that had ever happened. In the country. <laughs> in the yeah, let's say in the country. We'll fact check that yeah, later. Yeah. <laughs> it was in Larvik to our knowledge, you know, like yeah. this little this little coastal town. And on the way there, I'm there with um, you know, a colleague of hers, and we're on the train. And someone the following day has cancelled at the festival that's that weekend in Oslo. And the person I'm on the train with is Amelia. And um, no, Amelia's in love. The person I'm on the train with who's like assisting me to get to where I'm going, his cousin's the booking agent for the festival. And he goes, well, I'm actually on the train with this Australian artist who's doing this backyard show. And so next thing you know, I'm playing this Norwegian festival and have met the person that then I'd booked my first Norwegian tour with. Like, and that all happened trailing it back. That was all because, like, I decided to turn up and busk. Yeah. It's because I decided to do that. And from literally playing on the street, that was how that happened. You know, like, that's... That's amazing, right? You happen to be in the right place at the right time at right that place, time. Right place, right time. <laughs> you know, and that's one of the best examples I can possibly... You know, there's actually too many. There's too many of those, I feel Your whole like. career be built on that, wouldn't it? Exactly. Yeah. And so it's, um, that just is me just, I think, confirming that, that mindset of, you know, where you, where you feel, you feel lucky and you also like, it's like I said, I would like nothing more if there's any like true like path that I have is I would like to take, and I've been reflecting a lot on this 10 year mark, like those things that are very natural, perhaps your approach on luck and what you tried to do with business, those very useful things that were kind of like kind of brilliant in hindsight because it, it, it but you didn't know you're just going for it and those things man the older you get the further you get into your career you have to keep like unlearning yeah and reinventing yourself yeah. keep throwing yourself back into it you know like um one thing i've noticed lately is um with people that are super successful that i believe in in my definition of success to let's say someone that's sort of struggling a little bit more the people that struggle always say like, oh, what's the ROI on this? How much money are you going to make back? How are you going to make money on this? Like that idea, like who's going to pay for it? And they're always obsessing over these things. And the people that are super successful, it's always like, well, I'm going to do the thing regardless. And then the thing's going to work out. And I think about that. It's like you went busking. You went literally on a train in the middle of nowhere to go to probably play with 20 people in the backyard where most people be like, why are you doing this, right? I would have definitely, like if I think financially booking a flight like I don't even know if there was no it didn't tickets. work out like I'm saying it was it, on an economic level there, it made no, no sense, sense whatsoever yeah and so like everyone that I know that's super successful they do it regardless and it never makes any sense and then that's how they get into this space where they happen to be in the right place at the right time all the time because they're not looking for ROI they're not lo- searching around looking how they're going to make money out of this or looking for anything more than like I've got a calling. I've got to go and do this. I'm serving people. That's my purpose. And from there, there's opportunities that always come your way. Now, I think it's just such a beautiful thing. And it's, I think as human beings, I don't know why, but we always look for threads in conversations with successful people that we deem successful. And we always try and find the common denominator so we can sort of follow that path. And for me, it's the thing that I've noticed. No one successful has ever asked me, what's the ROI on that job? Why would you do this? How are you going to make your money back? They always say, that's a dumb idea. 
definitely do that. That sounds amazing, you know? And they just know it's going to work out. As long as you're passionate and you're out, and you're out there making something happen, it's going to work. I think it's that intrinsic value, you know, the, that someone actually is pursuing it because it would be something that would um, – it's something that has to happen, you know, makes me think about the little poetry book that I put together. And that was a really good refresher on, I was doing that for doing it. I was writing poetry for writing poetry, not because I was necessarily going to do a book and necessarily delve down that path. And I did in the end, but the first reason I did it, it wasn't because, yeah, cause it'd be, you know, this makes me think about songs in particular, um, springs to mind saying about songs. If you asked me to sit down and write a song, I said, okay, can you please write a song? Like, so I'm going to, so I need you to write a song a day. Well, I, I need, I want you to go sit down and write a song. Like that's, that's, that's daunting. Yeah. It's hard work. Whereas like, <laughs> if you're like, Hey, like, can I, can I go sit down and always write a song? Absolutely not. And it would be a lot of pressure to actually be a bit of a, like, I think it would be a bit of a hindrance, but if it's to go and express myself through writing or playing like that, I can do that. I can do. Every day. Yeah, and there's no expectations on it. That's very different to being like, I need this outcome, you know. And there's so many, I mean, I don't know how many, and it's so many, particularly in music, and it would be the same in photography. It's just like the amount you invest and risk, and you just run run risks, you know, constantly. And that would be something that I think you take big risks, you can have big rewards, you know, and you – take little risks, you're probably going to get little rewards. Like you kind of get what you're putting out there. And um, Have you always had that mindset? Like even when you first started? I think even more when I first started. I think that's the thing that creeps in once you've been involved in business long enough. Because now you stand to lose something. Yeah. It's like, um, and there's other people involved, you know, when you, you know, like I co-founded the label with my family and of course you start to, more than me, you start to be like, okay, like I want this to work for everyone, you know? And that's to say like, because for me, and I get this impression with you, it's like, you know, like I will still, like if you ask me to like, if you're like, okay, everything's, everything's gone to absolute, you know, everything's completely fallen over and like you're going to, you've lost everything. You're going to have to like live in your van and go start again. Like I would, I could. And that's why I love to still go busk today. Like I still know, know that I can, I've got the grit and ability to do that. But you do, it's just, man, this, the, the safety factor starts to creep in and it's so insidious. The safety factor does. And there's like, you know, there's actually studies shown where it shows people if they, um, like where their ceiling of success is and it always comes to where they deem themselves, where they've got too much to lose. So it gets like, basically get to this pivotal point and then there's all of a sudden you've got too much to lose. So for instance, if you're a day trader and you're just trading money and you're on the share market and you get to a million, a lot of the times, like if you deem that's a lot of money, now you stand to lose a million where before it like there wasn't much. And so with success is the same thing. So we hustle and we put everything on the line until we get to this threshold where we deem we got some success. And then from there, we start, it, we, the driving factor is it's harder to and scarier for us to lose something than it is to gain something like the reward to gain something a little bit more so for instance if you're like and it, it comes back down to this if you're down to your last hundred dollars and i said to you like hey i've got an opportunity here it's 50 50 you might lose 100 or you could double your 100 most people will say i'd rather not lose my 100 than double it because if i lose it 
I stand to lose like tonight's dinner, where I'm going to stay, everything else. But if I gain 200, it doesn't do much for me, to be honest. And so when you get to that level of success, it's like I could gain a bit more. But if I stand to lose everything, I mean, that's a lot. And so people that get the tremendous amount of success when we see like A-grade celebrities and things like that, their threshold is much higher where they're willing to risk more and more. Or so, say, for instance, someone like Elon Musk, willing to like, he gets a hundred million and that's not even enough. So then he just like, he's risking, gets to a billion, not even enough. Got to a hundred billions, not even enough. He'll probably get to a trillion because in his mind, he hasn't made it yet. And so he stands to gain so much more than he loses. Yeah, I find it fascinating. It is. It's really, um, it's funny how, to me, it just keep, it ties back to this this thing of safety and also your confidence in being able to go and make it again. You know, if you're like, oh, man, I just think, I make, oh, this conversation just makes me think to like the amount of, the amount I had to lose, like the amount that particularly, and this is why people sign to major labels is because when you got to front a tour, or yeah, front the footings for your, um, your next album or for your next album and everything like that. And it's so funny because what it takes, and this is probably the same, I can imagine it being a lot of business, but it's like I've talked to other people about it. It's like, for example, the 10 grand threshold was something that was like, if you could somehow save up enough and just not spend it on drinking, mm. spend it on drugs, just do your work, get out of there. Like you still get to have a couple of beers if you want. Just don't be silly, you know, like go do it. If you could get to that point, you could get the CDs, you could get the flight to Europe, you could do this and you could just reinvest. It was just funny. There was just this threshold where, and then you could keep reinvesting it in again and again and again. But if you didn't get to that threshold, then it was just always, then you get the loan and then you just were just, mm. and that's not to say that's the wrong way to go. It's just to say that like, oh man, like if I think about there's, there's risks I can't even discuss that like, I look back and go, man, I was crazy. But I had, I had nothing to, I had nothing to yeah, lose. Nothing nothing to lose. Yeah. That's the thing to retain. And that's the thing that's, I think, immensely challenging to. You know, in your own mindset and everything, actively. I've just been reflecting a lot before the next big, like the rest of the year, which is with a lot of touring and a lot of shows. I've just been reflecting upon the things that we're talking about now and mm. again taking opportunities like you know bumped into you busking hilarious yeah, yeah. you know, as we bumped into the beach the other day which is why i'm here talking to you now case in point it's short answer no i am however i am reflecting upon those moments that you have that are your initial reaction before you grew up your initial mm. reaction is probably something more akin to like your inner child about so that's still the case today for you, for me, like, mm, you know, and, sure. and lucky and look, and people have without a doubt and people have way when you got like little mouths to feed, for example, when you've got a family, like that's like, I said, like seeing all the people around me who do have families, like it's a different level. Like as far as it's a different level and I'm still um, at a place where like I'm not, but what I can, what I can understand in small passion these people are grown adults. They can look after themselves, but I do feel responsible to my family. I do want my family and my friends who work with the label. Like I want us to have the best thing. And I'm reflecting at this point upon shifting and re engaging because it's easy, man. It's like, it's so easy to start taking minimal risk options and part of your soul just dies. He's like, you, you, and you know, well, just the second you you, also the second you take anything for granted as well. Hey, Get comfortable. 
you know it's going to work. You walk out, you play a song, you know it's going to work. It's just, yeah, so it's it's that for me, and I, I could be hanging too much on the 10-year thing, but for me it feels like a very reflective period and I've needed to just like keep reflecting. And that's been a part of just even coming down here, coming down here from up north, you know, based in Queensland these days and just even coming down here and just walking some of those same paths and having these conversations, I know didn't put out a hat busking. There'd be nothing wrong with it, but I didn't put out a hat busking on that. Like there's no, besides a nice little clip for social media, there's no, like I just really like doing it. But what I like most is when you put yourself there, you get to have inspired conversations and someone will say something, remind you or, you know, yeah, re-inspire you or remind you of something that you've forgotten. And that's like, that's where I'm at. And the thing I take from this conversation is just like, what exactly do you have to lose is the big question for everyone. You know, it's like, what do you, what, what well, do hey, you have Well, hey, what if you lose? lost your passion? I mean, you stand to lose that if you, if you don't keep pushing. And then that could be the death of everything. You're like a Buddha with bangs, man. Uh, <laughs> I'm just thinking right now. I'm like, what do you stand to lose? I'm like, if I lost that. That's not your new Insta bio. Yeah. Five minutes after we're done here. Yeah. Buddhas with bangs. That's, you know, anyway, that's our new venture. <laughs> no, it's, man, you're right. That is the, that is the scariest because that would, thing. That would, not only would your family, like your family wouldn't actually care if you lost money and if everything lost, because, you know, things move on. But if you actually lost your passion for what you're doing, I, I believe your family would actually care so much more. Oh, yeah, if it turned like, into a machine. They, I'm so, I'm so lucky that I'm so, so lucky that they like, and that's something I'd say, you know, you know, surrounding yourself with people that care more about you than the thing that you're selling yeah, or the exactly. product or the song, you know, like people and formatively, particularly, I think the crowd has cared, like the people, the people that I grassroots grew this whole career with in the crowd, they cared, I feel like cared about me. Really, they did. Like it wasn't just about that song or that tour. It was like, and when you do that, you just like, you feel so, um, just feels, it just feels so beautiful, you know, and I'm really lucky. That's pressure for me. They're like, Hey, if you hung up, they're like, Hey, if you need to like stop, stop, like we like, don't worry about us. Like we're besides the fact that they're like, um, like they're, they more look up, they more look after me. I like, I'm, I bring the ideas. I make a bit of chaos, a bit of mess, you know, and they're the ones who like these days more and more iron- ironically, I'm becoming more of an artist. The further mm, they go into my career, awesome. You know, an all-in-one kind of person to branching out, branching out, being like now I'm more and more, more just your superpower. directing and artist. Like that's kind of where I'm like have um, immense help. So you, that's where. Well, you know, another thing is like when you stand to gain, like lose something. Um, a good story that I heard was Matthew McConaughey, and he talked about how he, he was like at his peak at doing rom-coms, but he was sick of it. And then he got an offer to do it for like, I think it was like 5 million. And he said, no, then it, like the next movie, then it was like 10 million. Then it went to, I think 13 million. And you might need to fact check me here, but I think it went to 18 million. And he was like, I can't believe they're offering me this much money. But he was wanting to say no. So then he could go in and reinvent himself in his career and everything. And I think about that story because so often sometimes we need to lose something to get to the next level of ourselves so like your career you need to lose something you need to lose some money you need to lose something that you're doing now that's not serving you or like whatever it is and then from there it'll give you the space to be able to like ask the universe for the next thing and give yourself that space because you know nothing's going to happen for you if you just keep pounding every single day touring 
doing another show, doing another show, doing another show. And it's not until you have the breakthrough moment of like, oh my God, I stand to lose something. I could have lost something. I did lose something. I need to change something. I need to reinvent, rewrite, redirect, whatever it is. And then that's where your next level will be. I think about, it makes me think about when I stopped touring in 2017. Yeah, I, remember, I remember the conversation with my sister and my dad um, and I was like this pre-label, you know, but I was like, I need one week. I was like, I need a week. Like I'm losing it. I need mm. a week, you know? And Annika was like, you know, she was like, are you sure you need a week? Because she was like, she had this huge offer, the biggest festival offer I had on the table and, you know, and what, and it wasn't sure if we had, cause we wow. didn't at the time have the, to go push it back a week, you know, which in the end, everything worked out. Of course. But I was like, I need a week. Like, cause I'm losing my, I'm losing my mind here. Like I need, I need to just stop. For, I just need to stop for a week. And, and it was funny in that, you know, I took some time off, had some, had surgery on both my eyes. And so I took a pretty big period of time off. It might've been like, it might've, for touring wise, it might've been eight months, the longest I'd ever taken. Eight right? months, wow. Which is, you know, which is like, so here you are, you've grown things, you're playing in the, the middle of your career, eight months off is a big deal. River, uh, not River Stage, sorry, it was QPAC Theatre in Brisbane. It was, you know, I'm playing, it's sold out, like people finally coming with offers. Vultures and you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, the vultures are coming in. Seagulls are everywhere, <laughs> and you know, and I stopped touring, but then that gave us time to consider. I nearly signed. I nearly, as in, I had was lucky to have some major, some major label stuff, some other independent labels, and I strongly considered signing because there were great offers, and um, and thought about you know someone who I'm not like intimate with all his work, but I thought about Chance the Rapper who at that time was, you know, the biggest independent artist in the world. And at least until a while after that was still independent, doing a lot for his city. And so it's totally different genre, but I liked his ethos. And, and that's when we decided to form, you know, um, the label, the record label. And that couldn't have happened if I kept touring. We just wouldn't have exactly. had the time. And so, and that, and that, if you think about that decision, like the way, uh, the degree of, impact positively that's had you know mm. like i lost out on touring i mean even the last couple of years it's just so crazy because you just don't know you know as far as the last couple of years where we couldn't tour internationally and the whole world was shut down like it's like okay well i'm gonna do get get even more in shape really work on my health and stop somewhere for the first time which is huge stayed in one place um not because I like the reasons for it, but I like the fact that like, instead of being 50 and stopping for the first time, I like literally got happy going to the farmer's markets and having my little suburb and like doing my thing. Like it was, it was good. I'm confident now. Like I enjoy the road and I know how to enjoy time back off the road. And, you know, we're going back and doing, I mean, I'm going to go do a place in London called the Brixton and that's like five, four or 5,000 people. It's going to be our biggest overseas show ever. And that's on the back of, not, you know, that's on the back of not touring technically in the UK for four years. And that's just to say that there is some chance I could have had the mindset like, I'm right, right. Have me out of tour, everything's going to, you know, but I didn't have that mindset. Didn't have the mindset that like it necessarily had to go that way. I didn't have the mindset that by stopping shows, by stopping shows that that was necessarily negative, you know. And if, I, if I did, if I did, if I went right, so if stop touring, that's going to be the end of things. I have to keep touring. 
Um, if I did that in 2017, I wouldn't have formed, we wouldn't have formed the label and I wouldn't be, I wouldn't, which I think I owe. So it's funny because you, you directly like know this experience of like letting go of something to, to bring in a whole new, something bigger. And you're in a space right now where it's been 10 years where you're reflecting right now, you're on the road, you're doing all the things, but again, like you're probably thinking and working out and all this downtime when you're just out there surfing and everything, it's like, I know that just pound, like what got me here today is not going to get me to where I want to be tomorrow. And so right now there's got to be something that changes. I think the, the thing you really stand to lose, like you said, is your, is your passion for it. And you have, you know, it makes me think about, it makes me think about those important times that maybe they just come around X amount of years, you know, like makes me think about 2015 was a pivotal moment. Cause I remember really having to get clear about like what I was doing and were kind of why. And then I got clear on it and it was like, you know, it was a, a real challenging moment and that's where I'm in this little bit of a void at the moment, which, you know, thankfully makes me think of shout out, you know, shout out Mamakin, um, Danielle, who I bumped into when I was in the desert on a surf trip in the Northwest of Australia, just uh, um, about six months ago. And she's like, yeah, man, you're just in the void. You just got to like, just, just don't rush out of it. It's a beautiful place. And I think, um, wow, that's, big, that's amazing. Yeah, and, you know, and I think with such a big, with, with tour up ahead of me and again, this very reflective time, uh, just getting clear on what you stand to lose and what you keep wanting to like bring to the world with music. Cause I do think it would be enough to say like, I just want to go. I think one of the ultimate things is that it makes me happy on a deep level. And I feel like it's contributing to the world in a way I feel like there's a net positive result that people might feel and that's probably the reason for music, but getting and feeling really clear about that and seeing when you seeing what does totally dim that passion, trying to avoid, trying to, to not go down those paths where you feel like you're just like dying slowly. You know, you know, like, well, most people don't cut it out because those are the bits that pay money. And so that it always comes down to that. Like if I just, if I just didn't do that, I'd be so much happier, but I need it. Cause it brings me a little bit of money or, or like, you know, I hear that all the time. And so the, one of the ruthless things, and Morgan knows this, that I do in my career is like, I'll make a lot of money doing something and I'm the first one to go like, no, nah, we're not doing that anymore. And my team's like, what do you mean? This is what the thing. I'm like, we're just not doing it anymore. You know, like, and that's the end of it. And everyone always thinks that I'm mad, but I'm like, man, the madness is if I lost my passion for what I'm doing every day, because then it's all over. It's also to be said how... I guess we shouldn't be surprised. Like that is the rhetoric though. The rhetoric of largely like where we're at is that it's not taught in school circling back. It's not mm. taught in school. Like, Hey, your spirit might die. Like do yeah, some shit so and have true. relationships that have relationships, do things that like you want to wake up, you know, like I was last night unnecessarily, you know, up to like one thirty Cause I was actually just too excited about a couple of things. I was just actually like, I was actually just ruminating. I'm yet to call my shaper. I was ruminating. I just had like a breakthrough on, on a new board design. And so I'm there like one thing in the morning trying to fall asleep, just laughing, going, you, you idiot, you know, <laughs> um, but your, your heart's alive. And that's important because um, for me, it's important. And why these trips, like these little hiatuses are important for me because like there's nothing, nothing's kind of more distasteful, dis, you know, like distasteful for me than, I think what people enjoy about my music, what I've, I think ultimately is that they represent a certain amount of like adventure and real and rawness kind of thing. 
and like I have to fill my cup, you know, and lucky to have a team that like pushed me to be like, dude, you got to go, you got to go fill your cup. However that is, you know, and that's like, um, that's something and filling my cup for me is like some aimless wandering where you, we want plans and I want plans at least. I want plans and I want things to be in order to curb some anxiety and to be in control. You know, to give you the freedom to have things, the chaos. But literally, <laughs> literally, if you like, if if you ask me what makes me like, like the things that evidently make me happy are things on the edge of chaos, you know? And so it's like, it's funny how we have this split. Well, I can only speak for myself having this split where you like in one part, you like want things to be safe. I want people around me to be safe. I want people to be happy. Like, how can I make this happen? And then as far, but as far as I go, the moment things are like, the moment things are kind of too um, predictable, I'm like, okay, like I'm bored and I'm dying. We need to mix this. We need to, we need to mix this up. Kind of that same sentiment. I've definitely had lots of funny conversations. I've been like, don't want to keep doing that. You know, like, no, nah, just don't want to keep doing that. There's so many, so many fantastic arguments. And I mean that in a good way, so many great arguments and yeah, but it just, I, I, do you, do you feel, how do you feel like you've retained how do you feel like you've retained growing up? You know, when you, you see things, those things you didn't see before. Let's say you take risks now and you can see more clearly what it means because there's plenty mm. of risks I took where I didn't really know what it meant. I didn't know the full breadth. And then you get old enough or wise enough, wise enough, or, you know, or just like experiential and you make the quantum leap and you go, oh, it means all of that. Is there a way that you continue? to find that place in yourself to risk it? For me, it literally comes down to me putting myself in the space of not knowing anything again. So like, it's for instance, like, you know, you take a big risk in something and it's, you, it's, you've seen it happen before, it works out and you can move forward and you do something, you do something. And then what I never know is what if I push myself into this space where I have no idea then all of a sudden I've got none of my past knowledge to, to back myself or anything else. So now I'm stuck out there again. And that means I have to learn to swim again. It's like going, it's like, you know, going into the deeper, deeper end and then going like, how do I navigate this? And of course I've got my, I have the confidence in myself because I've got a, you know, my lifetime of like what I have learned and the things that I've done and how I've been able to navigate things. So I do believe I put myself in the unknown once again that I'll be able to somehow navigate myself through it. But for me, just to answer your question, like I literally have to keep putting myself in that space where I'm scared because I have no idea. And that's the space that I love. Yeah, that's a really that's a really special way to put it. It's that habit, isn't it? It's just a habit to keep being willing, you know, to keep being, to keep being willing. And I think having your having your reasons as, as, as to why seems important. And that, like I said, having that and having that personal drive that like at the end of the day, from what it sounds like to me is that like you like doing that for the sense of like, there is a certain amount of adventure. And of course, and this, 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 and running that gauntlet is something that actually brings a bit of excitement in your life. People I think are scared. Like, I think we have to, I mean, not all, there's, I mean, there was maybe it was Joe Rogan who said like basically you have to invite a certain amount of um like conflict in this term he meant like challenge and struggle in like for him it was training you know whether it was running or something that was like I have to I have to be I have to invite that in and do that 
Otherwise I'll create it in the rest of my life. And that's what I think I'm one of the things I'm immensely thankful for with music is there's like enough I think there's enough chaos in it that it helps me not invite too much of it in other areas of my life. You know, there's enough natural it's such an intense thing. And like courses for courses, you know, I think it does take an intense sort of personality to want to be independent, run your own business and do those sort of things. Um, but immensely rewarding and we're just in we're in a pretty funny time, particularly in Western culture. We're in a pretty funny time when it comes to, you know, the world, the world at our fingertips. And maybe it was this, maybe it was this guy who was this awesome jujitsu dude. And he was talking about how, like, he was like, I choose to struggle. Like, I'm choose to be here struggling because I'm fortunate enough to choose that. Yeah. You're privileged enough. I'm privileged to enough choose the struggle. To choose the struggle. Yeah, just kind of, it's like either you, like either you've got it and you are struggling and people do have real struggles and there is like talk about now, particularly in Oz, I don't know what the rest of the world economy is like, but my inkling is like, that's real. There's a hundred percent real, you know? And so if you're lucky enough to not be an immediate thing, then like putting yourself in that position, like you said, putting yourself in that position again. I even heard someone say the other day, it's like, if you're privileged enough to take on board other people's struggle. So it's not only, only yourself. So if you're in a position where you can listen to someone, if they're, having a breakdown or you can like help them out if they're in time of need or something like that. It's like you're privileged enough not only to handle your own struggles, but to actually handle other people's struggles and hear them out. And I thought that was, for me, it was very profound. It's amazing. And I'm sure there's, there's people who've been trying to write about this for a long time. You know, you're um, me sitting here absolutely exhausted, you know, like, but it's funny, my, my back, Either my back, either I'm a bit sore from getting slammed like surfing or running or this, either I'm a bit sore from that or I'm sore because I haven't done enough activity. Mm. That just touches again. It's just like that same for me. It's basically, <laughs> it comes back to that same thing. It's like either your knees are sore because you've been running or your knees are sore because you've been sitting too much. Wow. You can use that for your whole life. That is the, that is the laughable, that is the <laughs> laughable situation we face. The, like the hilarious. I think that like, is, am I, am I overwhelmed and overworked and stressed because I've been working too much or too little? Yeah. Because I think sometimes I'm like, well, if I worked more, I would have more work. And then I would, ha- I, would ha- I would have to market less and advertise less. And then like I would have more clients. And, and I think about it all the time. I'm like, am I doing too much or too little? Because burnout can come from both. We definitely, <laughs> I hear you, yeah. Could, particularly if you're a personality, you know, like that's something I, something I was happy this summer to recognize. Like I need a project mm. as far as like whether it's just a little one, whether it's about like, you know, I ran 11, 11.4 Ks with my brother. It was, you know, maybe 400 meters elevation and, you know, and he's training for an ultra, you know, he's like, you know, he's, 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 that's what he does. And I was training enough to do that with him. And that was my little thing. That was my little project, you know, um, you know, finally, I'm proud to say I got past instead of hate filing my receipts. I now file my receipts happily. I even enjoy it a little bit, you know, <laughs> that took me 10 years, you know, like that's a big deal. Like I did <laughs> yeah. it, you know, like that's like that, that's the stuff in my journal. People like, was Jack Johnson playing with Jack Johnson in your journal? It's like, yeah, but filing my receipts, that was a real, like, that was there. It's funny, like, <laughs> overcoming this thing, you know, and there's a great, I mean, there's this guy I love reading this, this um, Buddhist dude, um, Tick Nut. Han, I believe is how you pronounce his name, sadly passed and beautiful writer. I carry his little Buddhist book with me all the time. And I love just reading it over a coffee and I pull to a random page. And, you know, the art of rest, I have so much free time, seldom am I restful. I technically have a lot of free time, but I'm like so 
such a switched on sort of personality and it's on me to switch off, you know, or like you just said, maybe if you recognize that you need to, you know, scratch that itch kind of thing. You know, I've sat down yesterday and started transcribing part for a new poetry book. Like, and that for me just brings me such such a cathartic thing it's technically work but i'm like but it makes me well that's feel what i mean like I can- and so then all of a sudden it's like you're burnt out because you're not doing the thing and then when you do the thing you're like oh i'm back in the zone i'm back in the zone yeah. <laughs> i'm doing the thing yeah. <laughs> i have that exact same yet. personality man like exactly uh, the same <laughs> i love it i love it it's true no it's um <laughs> yeah our knees are sore when we run and our knees get too sore from being sedentary you know so we, we must find you know that but the art of restfulness man it's something i'm Something I'm hoping as uh, time passes, I get a little, um, uh, that's, you know, it's fun to have these things, you know, those are the things I think that keep your passion alive is these little, can just be, you know, like getting past my receipt, my receipt issue, man. I just would let them pile up and I was just so against them. Such resistance to them. That's like a big thing for me, you know, that makes me really happy to, and people would just be like, are you sure that's a big thing? It's like, yeah, it's a big thing, you know? And so it's like having these very trivial little milestones in your life too. And far out, the people you see, gosh, you know, the people you see who really, you know, your health, like your health and your, um, like happiness is too broad a term, but it's like, but in the very least your health in a really holistic sense, when you're pain-free, you know, when we're lucky enough to be sitting here, not, you know, thinking of, you know, shout out to my younger brother, Rourke, who's was living it, you know, and he's never done his ankle skating. He's like, you know, incredible skater my stage manager and he just fractured his ankle in two places on his birthday on a birthday skate you know and he's just one of the most freakish skaters you've ever you know ever seen but it's like that makes you for a moment think it doesn't make me think he shouldn't have gone skating i think he he must he had to he has to do the thing thing. yeah has to do the thing there's risk involved and he's going to go do it Mm. and lucky to have parents that literally didn't want us like for example we're like we don't want to risk you in the system (laughs) but they'll like go and clear the stairs skating at like seven, you know, like they were like, yeah. go do it, you know, like, so happy to have that combination, but yeah, it's always nice to return. Sometimes I find myself with a lot of mental noise and I'm like, okay, like, am I in one piece? Like, can I, am I like pain free? Like that's in the, in the sense of like, am I not just dealing with anything chronic? You know, how many people you see who are dealing with that? So it's just, yeah, those those little things, balancing those things out, they are so lucky. Very, very lucky. Ziggy, thanks for being on the show. Try a pleasure. Thanks Good for having conversation. me Good conversation. I feel like it, we need to catch up another time. Let's do it post-tour. Yeah, I can finish it uh, on the world tour. We'll touch back in like yeah. eight months or something. And I feel like you, you'll have a complete different outlook. Like, oh, yeah, nah, man, I just want to go and never do nothing again. Maybe I have, <laughs> I can maybe have like a mohawk and nipple piercing and we'll just see like, you know, and I'll, and I'll, Change I'll, your like, music. I'll come on and I'll be like, man, I'm, you know, like I'll come on and basically be talking about how I'm just ready to totally quit it, go back to surfing and that'll last for two months and then I'll be ready to do it again. Yeah. Thank you so much for being on the show, man. I'm going to share your links and everything down below so everyone can find your music and they can blast it in their car and everything else. So talk to you soon. Make Your Breakers, want to streamline your audible dose of inspiration, motivation, and creative biz insights with a custom playlist made just for you? Um, was that a yes, please? 
kicking our arses into gear, sifting through all of Make Your Break's episodes to date. Yep, we're talking all 200 plus episodes. We've meticulously curated some banging playlists just for you. We want to help you to make that break ASAP. So whether you're a newbie or have listened to every episode a million times, jump into the show notes and check out the little something something we whipped up to generate your very own custom playlist.